0: Hi, this is Ashley Feroad and you're listening to Behind the Bio, the podcast about the people behind the professions. On this particular episode, Danielle Harmer is my guest. She is the general manager of all homes and prior to that, she has worked in consulting, in Fairfax Media and before that at the New York Times as a product manager we discuss how it is that Danielle ended up taking this career trajectory. In essence, if you're thinking that she got into this kind of work because of her love for real estate, you'd only be partly correct. The rest is actually somewhat surprising. We discuss other things, including why it is that we are so obsessed with real estate, what is happening in the industry that keeps her going every single day, and ultimately where she sees the industry going in the future. If you're interested in real estate, digital media, IT, and communications, then this is most certainly the podcast for you. I'd like to thank the Coordinate Group for making all of this possible, and I hope you enjoy this conversation with Daniel Harmer on Behind the Bio. Hey, Daniel, how are you going? What? Am I calling you Danielle or Danny?
1: Do you know what? I just thought about that. Do I call you Ash or Ashley?
0: You can go whichever way. Just okay. don't call me Lee.
1: Okay, Ash. Um, <laughs> I'm a Danny.
0: Oh, there you go. Okay. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Because it sounds pretty formal calling you Danielle. But yeah. that's what you get introduced as at different panels and things. So.
1: Yeah. Sometimes I'm Danny. Sometimes I'm Danielle. I actually, in Australia, I prefer Danny. In the US, I prefer Danielle because ah. they have a nice way of saying it, the Americans. Oh, right.
0: But so if I say it nicely, I can get away with it. Yeah, Danielle.
1: How do I say? Danielle. Yeah, you say it. Oh, I'd like
0: that. Okay, Perfect. sure. All right. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll keep There's it There's a up. lot
1: of Australians say Danielle.
0: Yeah. yeah. That overpronunciation of mm. the second part. Yeah. Yep. Oh, well, there we go. There you go. Well, look, this is a casual conversation, so we'll stick with Danny, actually. And you're just saying, hey, am I allowed to accept my coffee? You allowed like to slurp it? I'm going to do as well. Okay, so good. it's fine. <laughs> I just um, try not
1: to do it really loudly. No, no, that,
0: that's, you do what you need to do. <laughs> now, the last time you and I, I'm hoping that's not when you, when you and I saw each other last, but most certainly when we kind of did something together.
1: I actually remember you from judging the University of Canberra, Big Pitch. Yep. And you were Correct. the main anchor man.
0: I was. And
1: right. uh, that was my best memory of kind of being in the same room <laughs> with you, Ash.
0: Yeah. I got very thrown into that last moment, but it worked out. Yeah. And that, we did it live. That's right. We streamed it. Yes, I do remember that yeah, too. Yeah, I
1: did another one for UC yeah. this week. They're amazing, those. Yeah. Yeah, yeah there you
0: go. <laughs> well, I kind of wanted to reach out to you because actually your name did come up in conversation as part of the University of Canberra things because you're quite involved with us, I should say, but actually I was interested in your story about you know, the work that you do with, with Ohms, but specifically how you got into all of this. Now, maybe what you should do is just do like a CV in reverse and maybe you <laughs> start off and to tell me, how did you get into all of this? What, what did you study? Were you, are you a Combaran? Yep. How did that thing happen?
1: Yeah. So good question. Cause I, I couldn't have picked this career or journey, um, from when I started, but I actually, I did, I grew up in Canberra. I went to Fraser Primary and Canberra High and University of Canberra. So there you go. So born and bred Canberra. And although when I was uh, wrapping up uni, I was desperate to get out of Canberra uh, and had already um, started a job at IBM. So I actually studied IT and business. So I was quite a technical person, which sort of when people look at me, they're like, your
0: technical. <laughs> hey, there's no need um, to judge. I
1: know, I know. Judging, <laughs> judging happens. But uh, I sort of chose IT because I was, you know, quite good at maths and statistics. And um, you know, IT university is very um, logic-driven, maths-driven. So. So I sort of ended up on that path, um, and so, you know, sorry, the
0: IBM job was you know, it's, in it's Sydney. quite a
1: technical. No, it was in Canberra when I, I first started at IBM on like a hardware network support help right. desk, uh, rebooting routers, and so I started as like a heavy IT person, uh, and obviously then studied IT at university, and sort of business was the secondary, which I still quite enjoyed because marketing and law um, was covered in that, but really my focus was IT, um, and then. Uh, because I'd already worked at IBM during university, they sort of said there's this graduate program and I thought, cool, I'll get a job with IBM, big IT um, business, big global business, why not? And so I got a job with them and that's how I moved to Sydney. So as soon as I finished uni, I'd already started at IBM uh, and I I landed a graduate position which got me into Sydney. Uh, And then um, I sort of worked my way through the ranks at IBM. I realised I wasn't the best developer, so coder, because uh, you, you
0: were awesome on the routers, though.
1: I was awesome on a router. I could code, um, but I very quickly realised I was not near as quick as some of the other kind of IBMers at the time, and I thought, okay, how can I use this technical knowledge and sort of use my business now but be, still be part of the industry? So um, I ended up working for IBM for about six years, actually, and, and I got to the point where I'd loved IBM, but I really wanted to move overseas. Um, and I thought, great, I've got five or six years, you know, working in a big global company, got great experience. Um, I'll just try my luck in New York randomly. <laughs> um, and I sort of, you know, I remember convincing my mum and dad at the time, uh, I think I was 25, and I said, cool, got heaps of experience, mum and dad, why don't I move to New York? Um, and it was, I think it was in 2009 and my mum and dad almost died because they were like, it's the global financial crisis. Yeah. You're not going to get a job. And I was like, well, I'll give it a shot. Um, And so I got myself a three-month visa, like a holiday visa, and uh, went to New York. And then um, I actually, the one and only interview I had happened to be with a publisher that was using IBM software, New York Times. All right. All right. And so I randomly got an interview, so lucky, uh, and I remember sort of, you know, rocking up to the interview and, you know, travelling up this elevator in the middle of Times Square, which is obviously named after uh, the New York Times and thinking, oh, there's no way I'm going to get this job. Uh, didn't have a publishing background or media background. My, my background was IT. Uh, and I met the marketing team there. They sort of were running an e-commerce that was their first digital paid Adobe product that they were selling to online subscribers um, to read digital content and I just really connected with them at the New York Times and had a four-hour interview and basically convinced them to give this Aussie a job, they, they really didn't know any Australians. There was not one Australian working for the New York Times at the time.
0: But they pronounced your name really nicely and you're like, this is this is my way in.
1: Correct. Uh, so landed that job and I think that was probably life-changing.
0: Because um, they sponsored you presumably, right?
1: They didn't at the time. I went okay. through a contracting, but within months, yes. Okay. Um, within months they said, cool, we love you. We'll sponsor you. Uh, and I went on and worked with them for about four years mm. um, and we launched the, you know, first massive digital subscription model uh, with them, which was sort of, you know, the biggest strategic mm. shift that the New York Times had made yeah. in 150 years. It was such an institution. Well, it's kind of
0: like the beginning, the death of the traditional press and the beginning Correct. of the birth of the, yeah. well, what we know now. Yeah.
1: Um, and a fascinating journey going, watching a, a publisher, big global brand who had, you know, such a big print presence. They really relied on papers getting delivered, uh, every weekend to shifting to mm-hmm. sort of this nytimes.com. Um, you know, news organizations really at the time had to alter their model or they weren't going to survive. How do we keep paying these incredible journalists? Um, they had to figure out a, a new revenue model. So I was really amongst, um, that sort of that time when New York Times had to pivot their their business model.
0: So are you getting as much exposure to the business and the marketing and that aspect of it? Because obviously it sounds like you were kind of pulled out of well, fixing routers. And doing code and yep. into, I guess the kind of user experience ended on it, and therefore you yep. had to understand the marketing. So is that is that when you first got the taste for it and said, "This is
1: yeah." This is for me"? So I, I joined the marketing team, but mm-hmm. as their sort of business analyst for their product. Mm-hmm. So I got this real insight into product development, you know, user experience, websites. Um, building audiences, e-commerce, um, and really running, you know, a revenue commercial business. Uh, so just fascinating. Um, the people I worked with were Stanford University graduates, Harvard University graduates, and I just got this exposure to some of the smartest people in the world um, during this time at the New York Times.
0: So at that point, so you said four years you spent yep. in New York? Yep. yeah. At any point did you think I want to spend the rest of my life here or was that not on the cards or not even something you wanted to do?
1: It was a tough decision because I met my husband in America at the gym, at the local gym, uh, and he's American. He's from Kentucky. Uh, and so, there, you know. What was he doing in New York? He was playing rugby in a semi-professional American New York rugby team. Did um, they, they,
0: they play rugby over there?
1: That's I? what I said. <laughs> When he How first confusing. introduced himself, he said, hi, I'm Elliot and I play rugby. And I said, Americans don't play rugby. I thought it was gridiron, right? Yeah. And he said, well, why don't you come watch a game? And and that was the start of, we connected over rugby because I'm a huge rugby fan. Sure. Um, and uh, and so so be it. Americans play rugby.
0: Well, I mean, look, it's a big world, right? I'm sure they do. It's just not stereotypically what you'd think of. No. Um, but okay. So, so it, yes, you met your husband, but... So I'm wondering about the decision because you would have been in your 26, 29 yeah, or something,
1: Yeah, right? I think I was – by the time I left for you I was – Yeah, it was just before I turned 30, I okay. think I left. So
0: yep. that's, you know, the stage in most people's lives where you kind of have this balancing act, trying mm. to figure out where your next career is going to go. A lot of people change careers at that point <clears throat> um, yep. or elevate. Yep. So did you kind of think – this isn't – I can't do this forever? Like stay in – whether it's New York or not, but America altogether and make a life here? Or did you always want to go back? What was the
1: plan? It was like? a really tough choice because I think if I was just to go for my career, I would have stayed there. Um, And, I, th- you know, I was in line to get an office because if you get a director position <laughs> yeah. at the New York Times, you get an office. And I was like, this is amazing and, you know, fantastic experience. Um, you know, had I just had my eye on my career, I would have stayed. Yeah. Um, but I had my family and yeah. kind of wanted to return to Australia. And, you know, it so happens that my husband loved rugby um, and was quite happy to, you know, he was more interested in coming to live in Australia. Yep. Um, and at that time I'd only showed him Coogee where I was living uh, and he thought Coogee was just the best place on the universe, which I agreed and um, and convinced him somehow. I didn't tell him we were going to end up moving back to Canberra. Um, at th- the is time. that because you didn't
0: know that was the case? Or was it I didn't know the- it was the case, yeah, okay. but yeah. So it, wasn't
1: so, so it was really moving. for family to move back, but yeah. interesting choice because had I stayed, I could have, you know, it would have been incredible for my career, wonderful opportunities. Um, but, you know, sometimes family and life comes first doesn't it
0: no completely and it's interesting i've i've got a very soft spot for new york i've been there plenty of times with emily and and for various things either work or just pleasure and all the rest of it there is some connection with that place i just find it so incredibly unique and anyway
1: it's amazing without
0: sounding like a tourist ad here the first couple of times emily and i went over we often sat you know restaurants or whatever else thinking Could you imagine living here for a while, right? That conversation. And we most certainly could. There's generations of people who live and grow up in New York with huge families, all the rest of it. They do it. It's possible. So really, when I think of lifestyle, it's all possible there. But would we want that? Possibly not. I'm, I'm trying to feed into maybe the same thinking that you've had, that you go, I can see all the benefits of doing this. But if I really weigh it up against some of the things that are personally important, it's just not conducive to that. So therefore... Back home winners.
1: Yeah, no, I think you're right. I mean, diehard New Yorkers, that's all they know. Uh, And it's a wonderful city. And I think, you know, generally after living there for four years I got to meet you know lots of different people people that have been there forever Uh, it's a very transient city so people come and go um, really regularly Um, and I've got a lot of best friends that you know were expats that I met at the time who were still over there they've now been sort of 15 years not many of them have had children Um, so I do agree I think you know the thought of when I moved home uh, I was almost 30 thinking about having kids yeah you know, the thought of sending your kids to a little concrete, um, you know, right? gated mm. park in the middle of Manhattan, um, you know, didn't really strike home for us who, you know, I grew up in Canberra, big mm. spaces. And um, so, a- absolutely, I played a-, a part of that. I mean, you can live there and have a brilliant life. Yeah, it's um, definitely
0: doable, 100%, yes. and probably be very exciting to do it, but it's just such a different life. There's just no way around it. It's Correct. just a different life. And,
1: and ultimately, for me, it's family. My mum and dad, you know, yeah. it's why I ended up up back in Canberra, yeah. um, although I would have loved to stay in Sydney. But as we started to have a family and kids, um, you know, you can't look past if your parents are here how amazing Canberra is as a city um, to have a family.
0: Yeah, most certainly. And and actually that's the nice comparison too, that if I think of uh, even people going out of Canberra to Sydney, in the previous podcast I was discussing that, and essentially what they do is they spend some time in Sydney, do everything they need to do. And then realize that actually the lifestyle value of what Canberra offers is is better for them, especially in years they're trying to raise children. So they move back. It's all a balance, and and the reason I'm discussing this is I know that plenty of people go through this. So there are people listening to this podcast right now who will be in their twenties, wondering about the same thing, and those who are a little bit older, trying to figure out you know whether this is the right move. And it's interesting hearing your way up, where you've had potentially an exciting, more than exciting, an incredible career with an office, let's just say. And yet that wasn't enough, if I could say that, Against the true value of life, which comes out of family and other connections, so 100%. it's it's fine, you know, because sometimes people beat themselves up about the decisions they make because they seem just a little bit frivolous, but they're not. If they're important to you, then they're important.
1: Yep, hundred percent. And and you know, I, I when I left Canberra, I never thought I would return. <laughs> mm. I thought oh, I didn't really like Canberra. Well, you know, I'll go for the big cities, um, and and it has been a challenge moving back because for me, who's worked in big publishing, big brands. Um, I went at the thought of moving back to Canberra. I actually had no idea what I was going to do for a job um, because, you know, private oh, wow. sector publishing wasn't as big in Canberra and because I hadn't mm-hmm. lived in Canberra for about 12 years. By the time I moved back, um, yeah, there was this kind of heavy weight of, okay, I've gone for family first, but what am I going to do as a job? Um, so I was really lucky to sort of pick up a job at all homes Mm. um, within six months of sort of moving back to Canberra Mm. um, because, yeah, it was a a thought. I was, you know, I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do here. It's a different city when you've come from big cities and publishing um, and sort of media space but uh, – yeah, I was pretty happy to kind of land a job with All Homes.
0: Yeah, but I I dare say that with the experience that you've had, especially during a very important stage of kind of IT evolution and everything else, and and print evolution too, it'd be very unlikely that if you didn't end up kind of landing a job. Plus what I'm hearing too is that, you know, you went out of a business slash IT background and you've developed a set of round skills in terms of development of business evolution in digital space. That would be... Applicable to to most businesses that were growing here in Canberra as well, yep. um, and of course this was before COVID and before flexible working and remote yes. working and stuff. So I know that it was a little bit harder back in that, and you almost had to be in the city than that yeah. had the particular business in it, but. Yeah, it sounds like that, you know, you would have you would have been okay one way or the other. Yeah. Um, can I ask, I hope this isn't too much of a personal question, but again, for people making uh, choices in life, you know, we sometimes reevaluate whether we've done the right thing. And the hardest point is when you haven't, had the benefit of hindsight, right? So many years later now, you look back upon that and you say, it was great, I had an amazing time in New York. I met my husband. I'm back here for the family. I'm working in a great company. I'm enjoying life, presumably, right? You look pretty happy. So <laughs> so that that's great. But there must have been that period, which I think you said was either four or six months, where you're kind of thinking, I'm not quite sure what I'm going to do. Mm. During that period, did you struggle at all? Were you keeping strong? Ultimately, because we base a lot of identity on the work that we do, we tend to kind of lose ourselves a bit in the process. I just – if you could talk through that a little bit because yeah. I know there's others that go through this as well. Yeah,
1: and I'll probably – gosh, I'll probably try and whiz over it because it makes me emotional. But
0: There's tissues right here that I've just I,
1: I ended up working for a consulting business uh, which predominantly worked with government. Um, they loved the experience. and <laughs> uh, But I very quickly realized uh, that it wasn't for me. The hours were really long. I was putting together, you know, wonderful PowerPoint presentations and there's nothing wrong to that for that, for any consultant, you know, if you're good at pulling together a great strategy, awesome. It just wasn't what I love to do and, and uh, although it was, you know, I had to go through six months of sort of, oh, crap, I've chosen the wrong job when I first moved back here. Where am I actually going to go? It really allowed me to realize, okay, I love, I still love the technology side. So I love mm-hmm. working with developers and coders and engineers and building amazing experiences and big audiences. Um, so, you know, although I went through a tough period of six months working as a consultant um, and a very senior consultant, I've worked with some wonderful people. Uh, you know, I felt like I'd let everyone down to starting a job somewhere and then only spending six months that sort of wasn't traditionally what I would do I'd always spent you know lots of time with big brands um, always very loyal so I got a lot of learnings out of that six months or so that I kind of took a job probably realized it wasn't the right job for me in the ACT um, and it really you know it really made me learn okay what is it that I love to do which is building great products and you know um, stuff that lots of audiences can can enjoy and sort of working with developers and technology and you know cutting edge sort of
0: stuff. Yeah. Yeah. so it's mean, so a really it, it was a hard time but I guess you must have had a vision that things could be better and actually the answer not so hidden in what you just said is even at difficult times there is some learning that's coming out of this that will benefit you later in life. 100 percent. I know I'm yeah. trying to really summarize things here but it's hard. I know when people find themselves in the situations where they've made a choice for a change and they've not yet benefited from it, yep. they start to kind of go, my God, if this was the right thing, have I ruined everything? Yep. The truth is whatever the difficulty you're going through is there is there is a benefit in terms of the learnings that we get out of it. For you, it was actually kind of reassessing truly what's valuable to you in a professional sense.
1: Yeah, and we've just talked about two things, the highs, which was that kind of New York yeah. period, um, and the lows, which was that period where I was like, shit, yep. I've chosen the wrong job, I'm going to let my family down. And they're the things that define you, aren't they? The mm. highs and the lows. And I think unless you have those, you you know, it really, uh, that's, I feel like that's what's, t- you know, really made me who I am today was those high and low periods.
0: So all homes, when you got into this space specifically, was it easy enough to transition from, I guess, the print environment, which is essentially news? That's what New York Times says, says the, the specific take on news for a particular audience timely, uh, presumably transparent, informed, all that kind of stuff, balanced. When it comes to real estate, did you have to adjust to that or was it relatively easy? Did you have an interest in real estate? Uh, Yes. How how did you transition and was it easy and was it kind of organical?
1: It was very easy. I think, well, two things. One is I think every Australian has an obsession with real estate. (laughs) We do. Um, (laughs) Uh, so I think you'd almost, you know, I think almost every Australian and we can see from the engagement we get from our audience, um, whether you're buying or selling, I think there's still an obsession with real estate. So nice. that's an easy one. Yes, very interesting real estate uh, and, you know, have a property portfolio of my own. So over those years and before I went to New York, um, I've now kind of got three properties, but I managed to invest and, you know, buy a couple of properties along the way. Um, so, you know, I was definitely interested in property um, and then... Uh, basically I think people f- think it's more real estate than it is so that, that the topic is real estate. Um, and I've probably over this last six years learned more about real estate than I had ever imagined. Um, but actually what we're doing and what you just mentioned before is it's about transparency. Mm. It's about, you know, we sit on this wonderful market data and collect some amazing stats that really inform our economy. Um, and our government the government uses a lot of domains data um, and your average punter uses a lot of our data to make you know property decisions Mm -hmm. Um, and the stories that we we have an editorial team that sits in-house at all homes Mm -hmm. Um, so we have writers and editors Uh, we run it like a media organization we fact check we make sure we have the right data where you know I see our job as getting property news out to consumers as quickly and timely and as accurately as possible yeah. um, to really inform property decisions in, in you know, specifically in Canberra, which is where we focus. Uh, it's very similar to, you know, how I worked at the New York
0: Times. It's, so it's news, it's comms,
1: yeah. It's news yeah. And, and audiences. So, you know, when you work in marketing or advertising at the New York Times, you are selling audiences. And I think if you're looking to sell a property, you've got to access audiences right that's the best way to create demand and get the better price for your property um so that's one thing i know lots about is you know building big audiences um through product development through marketing um and good experiences you know and also writing about and getting good uh news out around the topic so lots of what i learned at the new york times and then fairfax actually when i lived in sydney's through the afr and um, the smh and the age uh was so applicable Uh, to all homes
0: yeah that makes sense and the if I can understand this uh, all homes benefits both the business side so related agents the agents themselves but of course all the consumers as well as in the audiences that are buying or selling the homes yep if you look at your audiences in terms of how much attention or resourcing or or focus you put into them when you're thinking of the content that you're developing is it 50 50 is it leaning to one side or the other
1: No? 50-50. So we have two really critical clients or customers. One is the users of the site, so Mm. the people buying, selling, researching, investors, all that sort of stuff, the the typical people that are looking at our our website and apps. Uh, And then the other really critical customer, and they're both even, um, because it's a marketplace, uh, is also... Agents, So agents who sell our house. They're, yeah. they're big customers of ours. Um, you know, we've got to please them. They are our business. Um, yeah. And the better we do for them, the better the consumer is. It's kind of, yeah. you know, it is it is more like a marketplace um, two-sided when you have a buyer and seller, but with the agents as well. Um, and look, you know, sometimes the agents aren't always happy with everything we do, but if it really benefits the buyers and the sellers and the mm. consumers, then obviously we can, we generally get to convince them that, you know, this is a good thing to do, yeah. uh, and and they go on the journey with us. But um, yeah, sometimes it can be tricky to support sure. both real estate it, agents.
0: Yeah, because it's an interesting proposition because you're doing business to business and an audience based or consumer based thing at the same time. And yeah, I mean, if I think of other organisations, you could. Also, see that. Let, let me just take a university, for example. It's yep. got its stakeholders in terms of government or yep. um, research partners, what have you. And then it's got the direct consumers, which might be those who are seeking education. So that's the same thing. However, the difference there is we're using quite different channels and products or services to aim at them. While here, it's the same thing rebalanced differently, so yep. it's an interesting proposition. So I can see how it it's is tricky. a tricky
1: place to work. It's kind of like you know, we often compare ourselves to Seek, um, yeah. uh, who you know is is working with people who are you know looking for jobs, um, and uh, they actually a big part of their job is recruitment recruiters, um, as well as businesses that are trying to hire. So it's so critical that you have a B2B side um, and that you work with, you know, what the B2B side is trying to do. So for us it's real estate agencies as well as the B2C side. And, you know, the better we do on the B2C side, so with our audiences and consumers, the better the agencies are going to do. Yeah, of course. Um, You know, the bigger the audience generally, um, uh, there is a cause and effect between how large the audience is and how many people you can get to and the sales results yep. um, for the vendor and for the agents themselves. Yeah.
0: And that movement from, uh, at a very basic level, uh, a site like Our Homes being essentially an advertising platform or an aggregator of, of sales yep. and so forth, it moving into providing great information, so essentially that the kind of data analysis thing that you've mentioned, so the tools that come with that, and of course digital is very much the part of that, but then even more so the... Uh, whether I call it creative content. The way that I've described that, is that how it kind of evolved from the time that you started or when you started already was playing in the space of saying we're not just an advertising site, we're essentially about providing information through data and, and actually greater comms and even community involvement and so on. So, yeah, I'm wondering whether that was already the case when you started or is that something that it's lent into more recently?
1: Um, I think certainly we've gotten better and we've learned a lot more, you know, in the last six years that I've been at All Homes. Um, you know, I think our audience has more than doubled in that over that six years. Yeah. Um, and so that's just getting cleverer around our digital marketing spend um, one of the big things, and I'll probably tell everyone my secrets here, our all home secrets, but <laughs> one of the most important things as a digital business is SEO, you know, where you appear in Google rankings. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, you know, no disrespect to the people who worked at all homes prior to my point, but the digital products were absolutely horrendous sure. when I arrived. Um so we had to deal with a lot of legacy and we had to mobile optimize them and everyone knows you know who's worked in the digital space if you've got a really amazing you know mobile responsive product that Google can index and read, mm-hmm. you know, your ranking, uh, gets better. So we've, we've had to go on a huge journey to basically really make sure that we can rank first if you type in an address or suburb and things like that. And that, that has a significant impact on our business. Um, and yeah, we've gotten much better at news and being more timely. And, and I think what we've done over the last six years is also t- transition to more support for the agencies, um, agencies, real estate agencies these days you know, that's changing. There's a lot of prop tech. um, There's a lot of, you know, technology that real estate agencies can use. There's a lot of access to lots of different data. um, And we've really dedicated a lot of our time into making sure that they are up to date and probably more up to date than the consumers and they're still ahead of the game when it comes to prop tech or data or um, things that are happening in the market um, and we've really had to lift out socks I reckon in the last six years and, and focus on that area um, probably more so than all homes ever did before.
0: Sure that drive you know for the work that you do what is the thing that you kind of like the most about your current role I and mean, this kind of sounds like an interview but you do know I mean I, I'm just trying to pick two where what is it is it the evolution of things that kind of gets you out of bed in the morning. Yep. Uh, clearly, yes, you do have an interest in, in real estate. We know that. Yep. But like you mentioned, a lot of people do. And in fact, I just want to talk about that later on. But yeah, which which bit of your current work or your day-to-day work kind of gets you up in the morning and says, this is stuff I really love?
1: Uh, probably probably comes back to technology. Hmm. Yeah, so... Uh, cutting edge sort of how do we build better experiences, you know, for bigger audiences? Um, I'm, I'm a bit of a nerd sometimes. Like we get a lot of like, we collect a lot of data and, you know, we might put something out there that users don't realize we're testing but we say do people like this swipe better or how can we yeah. you know get people looking you know more engaged with the listing or property uh, we'll throw a little test out there collect the data and really go okay what's converting better what's working better for our customers we might do you know feedback so that's the sort of you know learning from our audiences and then being able to adapt a product mm. learn launch something new work with the developers on the experience and then you know track it and you know if something working we've put stuff out yeah. that people don't like um and actually That you know, I'm I'm a big believer in putting something out, and you realise, okay, people don't like this, or they're not as engaged. You you know, you get those fast fast learnings. So, yeah, I I just love working with developers and technology and building. So it's kind of like
0: the matching of the most or the best user experience that could be with the best digital solution that that's what it sounds like to me
1: yeah you, you try we're trying to well you know we're trying to inspire all of life's property decisions through yeah. all homes but we're really trying to make property as easy uh, as possible <laughs> for our real estate agents and our consumers and connecting people with the biggest asset in their life um and You know, I don't think we realise. Some people just kind of think that all homes is used just when you're buying or selling. But the relationship that we have, Mm. you know, people are visiting us daily, even if they're not in that period of their life where they're buying and selling, Mm -hmm. because they're looking at the property news. Because they might be looking at the sale price of the property that went down the street just to think, oh, how much might my house be worth? You know, we might be thinking of refinancing. So you realise you're actually part of a lot of Canberrans' everyday life and I find that quite inspiring to be part of that and know that you can be delivering, you know, really great information that helps people make property decisions, which are massive, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's exactly right. And I mean, I I loved when you said that because I know quite a few people who keep their eyes out. Uh, It's actually very interesting looking at that. And I'm, you know, looking at that and so are my friends. Very broadly, you know, just at listings and kind of making assumptions, but I could imagine the amount of data that you'd have access to would be able to formulate even better pictures of trends and it's it's a very interesting reflection of the kind of economical value that that our society has 100%.
1: People look to property trends to really predict what's happening in our economy. How we're um, feeling about
0: things and, yeah.
1: Absolutely. Um, and so, you know, and the other part of – the other half of people just love looking at beautiful houses.
0: <laughs> oh, hey, that's definitely my thing.
1: <laughs> Me too. I find myself just browsing Actually, not through even, sorry, not
0: even beautiful ones. This is the interesting thing. I find – everybody's home is equally as exciting. And I, I'm kind of leaning, obviously, into the home stories thing that I do. But yes. it's it's very much about there's there's a psychological mixture between who we are as people and the surroundings we choose to be in. Absolutely. So whoever's home, it doesn't matter if it's the most beautiful $5 million property in you know, your alumna somewhere or that it's a renter's place and it's a share house somewhere else. The truth of the matter is there is a very interesting insight that you get into that. And I absolutely love it, which is why. <laughs> Yeah, I really lean to that. So don't don't worry; it doesn't have to be the most beautiful place. We're all interested in it.
1: and people get ideas for renovations, yeah. Yeah. and you know, there's always a story. Um, it's a real insight into people's lives when yeah. you see the pictures of their houses mm. and what they've got on the walls, and um, you know, it's a it's a fascinating insight that I think everyone quite enjoys.
0: Yeah, actually, I'm, hopefully we're not getting the topic here, but the idea of uh, styling homes prior to selling it. Yep. I could be wrong here, but I most certainly remember when I was looking – this is going back, wow, okay. I don't actually even know how long ago. But are showing your age, Ash. Yeah, exactly. I'm just almost afraid I'll have to edit this bit out. No, no, not at all. I'm thinking probably about 20 years ago. Let's just say that. And I was thinking of, you know, looking at, at property at that point. It, most of the homes were not styled at all. They were just empty places or they had somebody else's furniture in it. Yep. And, in fact, the trick was to always walk into a space – and see past anything that was there or nothing that was there to imagine in a different form. Now, that took a while, and once I got it, I'd be able to look at a space and go, yeah, I, I can see what's happening here and what this looks like and how functional it is. Yep. But then, of course, the idea of through marketing, more so than anything, I was going, well, hang on for a second. If you style a home, it shows the best potential of that place, even though that style might not be yours. And, of course, now, you know, I think 99% of them will be styled. Am I correct?
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I reckon 9 out of 10 would be styled.
0: So yeah. what's interesting about that, though, is if you show an empty home, I would have thought in a way you're looking at a blank canvas to which you can then imagine your own style. If I'm shown a home that's already been styled, that's pushing it in a particular, again, psychological place, mostly of the stylists rather than the people that live there. Yes. And, and yet we do seem to... You kind of lean to that and actually those homes tend to get a better sale price and stuff.
1: They do. I mean, look, there's no question when you spend more on marketing and styling mm. and you get like it, it it's worth it. Um, you know, I'm I'm saying this from a marketer's perspective. Um uh but it, it creates, I think, you know, why styling is important these days is it it creates that aspirational You know, you're a creative, Ash, so, you know, you've obviously got that marketing and creative background and often it is hard for people to see, you know, through a blank space. So um, what styling really aims to achieve is that aspirational, you know, what it could look like with Mm. this amazing furniture, even though people, I think, know they can make it their own. Um, But it it definitely is a a sort of, you know, a a pretty well-known factor now that it does help. To sell a house, yeah. um, if you're going to take it to market, yeah. um, you know there's lots of stuff that happens, you know, off market or, um, or you know, if people are in a hurry and they don't, you know, it, often a lot of this stuff is upfront cost, so it does all cost. Sure, um, but look, if you want, you know, if you want to take it to market, and you want to get the best result absolutely worth styling
0: yeah Yeah. am i right in terms of the timing that if we went back 20 years ago i thought the styling thing only kicked off roughly about somewhere around a decade even like
1: five years ago there was far less styled um and look you've seen the rise of lots of styling businesses now so it's quite a competitive space there's a lot of people out there and a lot of them will work with real estate agents and have their certain clients um, and it's sort of just part of m- most real estate agents' mar- basic mm. marketing package now. Yeah.
0: Um, I wanted to go back to quickly the digital evolution thing that that kind of excites you. Sorry if this is a really far out sci-fi question, but mm. do you think about the opportunities that my light ahead and say twenty years time, ten years time? Let's just say ten years around meta, AR, VR, the whole entire thing. Is yes. your head already in that and is it exciting? Is Are you already kind of projecting into
1: Real estate is massive in the meta universe already, right. yeah, yeah. which is insane. Um, and you've kind of – you've already got – I mean, we don't play in this space now, but you've already got portal-like Indeed, yeah. entities within the metaverse yeah. that are selling real estate and uh, like it's – it. um I wouldn't say I know a lot about it. Um, it's, it's interesting to me. I probably, you know, don't have the time to really look into it, but it's fascinating, yeah. you know, where, where we could take things.
0: Like I guess I'm wondering whether it is, is it possible, and I'm sure it is, that all homes in, let's just say 10 years time, right, is essentially selling real estate in, in meta space. Now, I don't mean physical in meta. Yes. I mean existing only in the meta space. yeah. yeah. I don't know. I, I could imagine it.
1: Uh, good question. <laughs> I, I'm probably not thinking more than five years now, Ash, but um, I mean it does. It almost some in some respects, um, you know, when you run a business, uh, in some ways there's, there's a little bit of concern about disruption, mm-hmm. you know, w- what's real estate going to look like in 10 years' time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I can almost guarantee you it probably won't look anything like it is today, um, you know, buying and selling houses, whether that's in the real universe or or in the metaverse. Um, so there is sort of a bit of a are we heading in the right direction? Are we still going to be relevant in 10 years' time or are we going to be completely disrupted by some kid in a garage that's um, building something that's completely, you know, disrupting mm-hmm. um, to all of the industry, you know, including real estate agents and us? Um, I hope not. I hope we'll be, yeah. you know, I hope we've hired the best people uh, in Canberra that are developing all homes that are going to stay on this kind of, of – technology trajectory yeah. um, and be able to morph as a business. But, yeah, we're, we're definitely always thinking about it and watching the trends. I mean, I read a lot about, you know, prop tech and metaverse mm-hmm. and what's kind of happening there just so that we're sort of aware of what yeah. what So it doesn't happen. catch you
0: by surprise when it, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I'm sure it will. So yeah. the other aspect of th- – and this was going to – I mean, I'm being a little bit silly about the metaverse thing for a moment, but if I go back to, to selling homes in Canberra, I, I could imagine that – you know, the idea we we're talking about styling before. Yep. So I'm, I'm sure this is either already done or is being worked on. And if it isn't, then we should do an app. But essentially, imagine this that you obviously shoot the home in 3D uh, so they can move through it with a pair of goggles yep. on seamlessly. So not like from spot to spot, but yep. seamlessly, you walk through. Yep. But what would be interesting is the AI or my preferences, it knows that, for example, for arguments i come into mid-century modern. So rather than styling the place in a way that is of a particular kind that might not be to my taste, yeah. it says, would you like to see the place empty or would you like to see it furnished? Yeah. And would you like to see it in the furnace that I know you like? Yeah. So it starts to furnish the place. Could you imagine that? Because what you're then doing is in the digital space, allowing someone to really see that place as closely to what it could look like for them, yes. aspirational or otherwise. Yep. That's great. I could imagine that being a good idea. However, what's really interesting is there is nothing like actually going to a physical place. Ultimately, you probably won't actually completely be able to replace the physical presence that you get from being there and ultimately no matter what you do however great I just mentioned you know, it could be yep. to go through AR for example yep ultimately there's always be a place for open homes and I'm just wondering whether you think the same thing
1: yeah great great question and I actually think COVID you know about yeah. this time last year yeah. we went through a really intense lockdown um in camera which basically shut down open homes and you know mm. real estate agents couldn't get on site photographers weren't even allowed which was interesting um, although we sort of got around that um it's funny we thought that was going to have a major impact on transactions. Uh but during that period what we saw is just as many people buying and selling um as always. Yeah. Uh there was a, there was a significant proportion of houses sold and bought that were sight unseen. Yeah. Um and we could run auctions online, a lot of the real estate agents would pivot or they'd change back to sort of, um, you know, a private negotiation sort of sales process. But it it definitely made me realise we can still transact yeah. without necessarily seeing it. Now, I think it absolutely helps. There's always a place. If you're going to spend that much money, you sort of want to see it. But on the flip side of that, if you're going to spend that much money, looking at if for tap, works or, you know, the sort of minor things that you would see in person um, becomes less important. What Mm. you're looking for is the land and the location. And we know a lot of our – we introduced this school search onto all homes um, kind of last year in the last 18 months uh, and we realise actually just being in a school area is so critical, you know, for people who want to get in certain schools and that piece of land kind of doesn't matter what's inside the house, um, you know, really matters. So actually a a big proportion of making a decision on a house is not just the look and feel, uh, it's where it's located, it's how close to the school, is it in the school area, Uh, is it near mum and dad's, is it in a nice street which you can obviously always go and drive by. So there's a lot of decisions that go into a house that isn't just does it look mm. nice, really? That's only one proportion of it.
0: Yeah. So um, do, do you feel in your experience that kind of the meter between rational on the on one side and emotional on the other, yep. do you think that that needle is swinging stronger and stronger to the rational? The reason that I say this is, again, let's go back 20 years ago. I, I could hardly imagine a situation where people, unless they had lots of money and couldn't care and could just see it from a business investment yep. point of view would buy homes unseen the purchase of a home is still very emotional for a lot of people especially yep. those who purchase of the first time yeah but i'm kind of hearing that maybe by design and by the organics of what happened during COVID and everything else, perhaps people are swinging closer, closer to the rational, which is why they can say, well, it actually doesn't matter how it feels or maybe not as much. It matters that I'm in this good area and the value is good and, you know, this thing we can always paint and change. Correct, yeah. It's a, do, do you feel that's happening? Yeah, and, yeah. you
1: know, what is the zoning areas which are important? You know, so I think as well because we have good photography, we've got great you know, and probably getting better every day sort of 3D plans. We also see a significant portion of um, dwellings being sold that are off off the plan. Um, and really, again, the, the technology is getting quite sophisticated there um, around 3D walkthroughs and 3D floor plans and really seeing the renders of these, you know, incredible off-the-plan developments. So, you know, technology is getting us to a point where we can really start to imagine um, you know, get to a point where it helps us make a decision as well as all of the other things at yeah. play around price and, you know, the market, the street, the area, um, you know, it's definitely the technology is definitely helping us, you know, rather than just relying purely on st- standing in a room. Um, <laughs> we, we have so many overseas buyers, um, again, and have done for many, many years who will still um kind of purchase, you know, side hunting. I do see maybe the buyer's agent playing a little bit more of a part in Mm. the future and that's sort of a traditional American model um, where, you know, we might see a few more people rely on buyer's agents to go and do the work for them as opposed to going to – open homes all the time. It's hard work planning Saturdays or Fridays or whenever the yeah. open homes are there.
0: Um. I'm just surprised that in an Australian kind of commercial culture, we we don't have or didn't actually have, I should probably say, that there's most certainly a rise of buyers-agents, but there's still few and far in between. Correct. And um, I was writing, writing a whole bunch of editorial for um, some builders in Canberra in the last year or so, but one of the things that came out of it is that out of all the people that I interviewed, two of them used buyers-agent mm-hmm. and there were – they were like the first ones that were available in Canberra, and there's more of them apparently now. But yes, indeed, I could imagine that being the case because they, again, a buyer's agent is going to, yes, and listen to your emotional needs, but really it's about the rational decision-making. Right. And you're really kind of filtering that through, and then you can make a decision quite easily rather than exactly have to invest, yep. you know, years and years of open homes and 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 bidding and disappointment and eventually hopefully something positive at the end of it. Yep. So I could imagine that being the case. And you've mentioned the American model, which I'm sure you're so aware of being lived there. Yep. Uh, I'm, yeah, I was always surprised that that hasn't been a bigger thing here, but obviously that's probably going to be quite a big change.
1: Yeah, and look, it comes down to sharing of commissions and how much people are willing to pay yeah. for a house. So there's quite a complex kind of – it, it certainly alters the real estate agent model and the commission model when you have both a buyer and a seller's agent. Uh, and I think in Australia, you know, the the seller's agent, um, you know, that's the model that we've had for a long time and has worked. But it'll be interesting to see, you know, what happens in the future hmm. in that space. Um, uh, but I think, you know, real estate agencies are, are more than willing to
0: adapt. Yeah. So, going back to this big question, which I was going to ask before, you know, we talked about the fact that all Australians are kind of a bit nuts when it comes to property, mm. and we all are. What do you think that is? What do you think is the main driver? I mean, one thing that I can put out there quite clearly is you always talk about the great Australian dream, right? Owning your own home. Yeah. I, I guess that's something that has been placed into our thinking from a very early age, especially if you've, you know, been born here. Um, yep. But... Do, do, it's got to be more than that. What do you think it is that we culturally hold so important and therefore we kind of stick to that as the prime principle?
1: Gosh, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I often ask myself, why are we obsessed with real estate? And I, you know, your friends buy a house and, you, and you're like, okay, what did you buy? And you kind of look it up and I'm just let's see if we know the price of their house. And often, you know, it is we're, we're very, um, you know, we're quite – uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Australians are very proud. Um, mm. You know, that house tends to show status, doesn't it? You know, so...
0: It's a life goal, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, it's a life goal, exactly. It's it's very much part of our community. I, I, I don't know. It's funny because my husband is American and his parents think we're hilarious because we spend so much time talking about real estate. Mm. Um, and they just don't do that as much there it's much more transactional um but i do think it is a dream um and it plays such a big part in our lives where we live we're very proud of our home our ownership um but you know we love it we'll 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 help that inspiration we help that obsession i love working in something that um, that australians are obsessed with it's great to be part of it yeah
0: i was kind of thought that maybe what it is apart from the fact i think it's a cultural thing where It's it's something like you get born with and you hear all the time, so it becomes part of the norm in terms of aspirationally what it is that we should do in terms of life progress. So that's a given. I kind of think that maybe it's like a trifecta of things that it leans into the basic human need of shelter. So Mm. that's one thing. So we know that it's important and everybody can understand having a roof over one's head and what that really means in terms of the hierarchy of needs. So that's the psychological part. Two is then it dips into investment. So in other words, setting yourself up for life and all the rest of it. So that is also exceptionally important because we want to have a secure future, whether it's for us, for our families, for future generations, whatever it may be. Um, And then the other thing is exactly the thing that you've mentioned. Whether it's status or whether it's um, kind of social inclusion, the idea that you can talk about homes with other people, Mm. it is, you know, the discourse that you have. And there's this whole kind of hobby thing almost attached to it
1: I also think shows like The Block Mm -hmm. really play into that because they show, you know, they they really show the expression that you can have in a house and how different things can be when you – you know, change the rooms or renovate, and you know those sorts of those sorts of shows. And we've got plenty of them in Australia. Yes. Um, really help feed our obsession with renovation and making things amazing, and our creativity around houses, don't they? Yeah, do it yourself.
0: Yeah, yeah. very true. Um, back to you for a moment. Let's just say for some reason, I'm ceases to exist tomorrow. Argument is yeah. right? Not for bad reasons. I'm just saying it doesn't. It's yep. not an option. If you then looked at the options they have got open to you. So a little bit like going back all those years ago when you had that six months of trying to figure out what to do. If you had the same point of reflection open to you now, of all the skills that you've got, marketing, publishing, design, real estate, data, IT routers, (laughs) do you think you would lean into something specifically? Where would you go in terms of your professional interest area?
1: And the answer is I probably don't know, but I do know... You know, the biggest joy I get is building products, so digital products, um, you know, apps and websites, reaching audiences, um, refining it, you know, making people happy with products they use and and solving, you know, a problem in life. So it could be in real estate. Um, I certainly know a lot more about real estate now that um, it's definitely a bit of a passion and probably one that I'm a bit more of a subject matter expert in. Yeah. Um, so if I was going to, you know, build amazing products, I think, you know, it would be a no-brainer to stick into real estate, stick in real estate. Um, however, you know, because there's so many problems to be solved in our world um, through technology, uh, you know, that, that pure product development uh, digital knowledge could be almost applied to any industry yeah. um, that I have. So it's that it's that building digital technology yeah, products, exactly. cutting edge sort of building, always working with developers, building yeah. and solving you know complex problems and making them really simple um, is where I'll always you know stick. Yeah. So
0: what I'm seeing there is that that arc that got created from the moment you applied for that work in New York, yeah, in Times Square that day, is actually still the same arc because at its core, it's it's about digital evolution mm. and and how Absolutely. to suit that to audiences. So, you know, whether it's all homes or something else, ultimately, it's the same thing that you'd lean into. So it's, it's kind of nice to see that yep. you've been quite straight. Like, you know, you didn't say to me, well, if, if I had my time again, I would have gone into, I don't know, no. agents.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I've always been that kind of technology-driven person that I'd say, you know, and I got that experience when I wasn't working directly with building, you know, technology. Didn't enjoy it. So I can almost guarantee it would be something in with digital product technology. Absolutely. Yeah, I think I definitely chose the right area there when I was coming out of university.
0: Yeah, and I think this will be very encouraging for anyone that's listening um, that is working in the digital, IT, social space, web and et cetera. Yep. Um, because I think what's really nice about this is – You've ended up here because of your interest in that space and those who are interested in that and good at it can actually apply that knowledge to a whole bunch of different careers, which I think is very encouraging, you know, and gives a lot of flexibility. And what someone could do is let's just say they are kind of very interested in the digital space. They've realized they've got a coupled passion in inset, whatever that is they can actually guide their career to continue doing that digitalized here work but towards a passion and then you've kind of combined two things that you really like doing hundred percent Voila.
1: yeah if your passion is real estate and technology you know all homes is the best place to yeah. work um you know it could be technology and uh, uh, and any industry you know job finding or cars or electricity and how we you know there's there's just so many industries now that you know rely so much on Um, technology and great products and customer, you know, that customer experience um, and making people happy, making things simple, simplifying any sort of process in the world. Um, Yeah, the the options are endless. You know, if I tell my kid, I've got three kids, but I don't think any of them will follow my footsteps, but I'd (laughs) love them to get into, you know, coding and technology and math early on because i think so you don't my, think
0: those jeans got passed on They're oh not?
1: i don't know <laughs> it's hard to know i've got a seven a five and a three-year-old
0: yeah.
1: um so who knows but i would love nothing more for them to you know follow in those footsteps because i think the the job opportunities and the innovation that's to come in that space would be immense well hey um,
0: you never know i mean you never know you know, and even if they go in a particular direction, following the other side of the passion, they yep. might realise they've actually got quite a skill and ability yep. in that sense, and and can mar- marry them up later on. So. I had
1: so much fun last week. My niece, who's in Year Seven at Daramalan College, mm. she um they teach them coding from Year Seven, mm. uh, so it was kind of elective when I and when I was going through school. Um, and she had to code this little program. She said, "Can I get some help?" And I haven't coded for years. <laughs> And I was like, I don't even know if I'm going to remember. And I did. And I said, no, you just have to delete this section. And she, um, you know, clicked the play button and it and it played through. And she was like, oh, this is amazing. And I was just so – it was so awesome to see that, you know, they're teaching coding and that sort of thinking, logical thinking in high school. You know, STEM's just getting massive. and I, And I think – you know, we have to. I was so happy to see that being done, you know, as early as Year 7 in high school.
0: That's the definition of digital natives, right? Absolutely. Apart from being born into it, actually being able to actively use it and yeah. proactively do things in amazing. it. amazing. Yeah. Oh, well, there you go. Well, it would be interesting to see. I mean, you know, maybe if we do this podcast in five years' time, we can see whether…
1: <laughs> Let's book it in.
0: …those other genes kind of kicked in and whether your children are kind of leading yeah. into that side or, or They'll not. probably
1: follow their father. He's a physiotherapist. So, yeah, they'll either go on the tech side or who knows. But well, Whatever they do, I'll, you know, as long as they're happy, I'll be
0: happy. Is he still playing rugby now? Uh, no, for the fun no, of it, but or he is
1: not? a physiotherapist for okay. Eddie's. All um, oh, right, uh, and as well as he, you know, he works at a, as a at a great physiotherapy place in in the ACT. But uh, he so he's still very involved with rugby, uh, but he doesn't play anymore.
0: Does he have a, s- a strong American accent? Yes. Okay, so hold on to accent. that. Yep. Yeah. Nice. yeah. <laughs> Good to know. I'm just doing a mental picture here. Yeah. That's all. <laughs> um. Daniel thank you so much for I hope i pronounced it correctly um thank you so much for the chat i think it was really insightful and it was actually a lot of fun um i didn't know where i was going to go so it's interesting i didn't know about your your digital background so it's actually very nice to find out about that and i'm sure that a lot of the listeners here would have got a really good insight into not only your world but also where you kind of came from and why you're here <laughs>
1: Thank so, you so much for having me. I, I I really do you know believe in sharing stories, especially you know we didn't really cover this, but a female yeah. in tech and real estate. It's it's quite mm-hmm. you know both those areas and media are, are traditionally sort of male dominated. Um, so I am always willing to share my story, and I'm a big believer in that. Seeing is believing. The more you share, the more you can kind of inspire other, particularly women and girls, yeah. into sort of more technology based. Yeah. Uh, you know male dominated industries i think we can do wonders
0: yeah for sure and look that that point wasn't lost on me there's a reason why we're talking (laughs) and one of the reasons i should say that we're talking but yeah very true and it's nice of you to say that indeed your actions encourage those who are you know coming up now and, and hopefully that encourages others and then you get a social movement right absolutely yep beautiful thank you so much for your time thank you for having me I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Danielle Hama from All Homes here on Behind the Bio. As I said, it was actually a bit of a surprising thing to learn that her background was actually from the IT perspective, and that is how she got into this kind of work. If you enjoyed that conversation, or perhaps any others, then please let others know. It is the way this podcast spreads. And thank you to those who have recommended either a particular episode or even the whole entire series to others. I really thank you. If you'd like to get in touch with me, then please do so. You can do by Instagram at Behind the Bio podcast, or if you prefer email, then Ashley underscore forode at outlook.com. I always love to hear from you. I would like to thank the Coordinated group for making all of this possible. And again, I hope you can join me for the next episode of Behind the Bio.